Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman, unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Talat Mahmoud, the founder of the Smart Business Plan Academy. Now, Talat has worked for the last dozen or so years with small and medium-sized businesses to help them raise hundreds of millions of dollars for growth. He's also helped with M&A transactions for exits. I'm going to ask him the biggest mistake that companies make when trying to develop a business plan and plan for their exit. We're going to talk about when is the right time to start planning for those exits and what the essential elements are in a business plan that will help you raise the appropriate capital to reach your potential. We'll also talk about the elements that you may not be thinking about that are key to getting great valuation for your business. So take a lot of notes. You're going to learn plenty from Talat Mahmoud. So Talat, welcome to the show. Hey, Ian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for um, chiming in from the UK today. Um, I know that you've got a lot of expertise in helping companies raise capital, helping them with merger and acquisition transactions. So I want to dive into something that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds, which is what's the biggest mistake that you see companies who want to sell make? So what are the biggest mistakes they make when they think they're ready to sell? Um, I think the biggest mistake that they make by far, uh, and I've been doing this for about 12 years now, is uh, they're not near enough as ready as they think they are. Um, yep. so, so they're at a point where they think, okay, well, we, we want to sell at this point in time. But if I typically when I go in and start meeting those businesses and understand what they've done and what they've thought about and what kind of deal they're looking to do, they're grossly underprepared uh, is, my, is my initial observation. And so one of the things that I'm doing a lot with a lot of businesses that I'm meeting, uh, and if, especially if exit is on the agenda for them, is really having that conversation as soon as possible to try and determine where they are in that stage um, and all of the, the sort of boxes they need to tick to make sure that not only they have a smooth uh, transaction process, but a successful one. Yeah, I, I remember talking to someone at one point who, um, who said to me, the, the single best time to prepare and think about your exit is before you start your business. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's true. And that's, that is so true. And I think, uh, you know, you will have seen it. I've definitely seen it in my, in my experience as well with businesses is they're all excited about uh, the fact that they've started a business. Um, and exit is often the last thing on their minds, actually, at that point in time. But the reason why a lot of good advice centers around putting that at the outset is because it gives you an idea as to what kind of exit that business is going to have. It gives you an idea in terms of you know, how you may want to grow that business. Um, because at the end of the day, at some point in time, you will be looking for an exit of some sort or other, whether it's partial or full exit, uh, perhaps due to retirement or due to wanting to grow the business even further. And so you have to have uh, some of those considerations in mind right at the beginning, um, which just allows you to prepare much more effectively for growing that business. Yeah, so, and, and a lot of the things are going to play into valuation. What type of exit? Is it an earnout? Do they want you to be there or not? So what are some of the factors that, that weigh into valuation and types of exits that are going to be available to that person? And how do you plan for those? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess types of exits. Um, largely, you've got, you know, if you're talking broadly about it, you've got a trade exit. So that's an exit to uh, maybe a competitor, another strategic buyer. Uh, or then you've got a, a financial exit, which is an exit, and it's often a partial exit to private equity. So, uh, for example, the private equity firm may come in and buy out some of the shareholders and support the remaining shareholders to grow the business at pace. Now, not a uh, financial exit, for example, wouldn't suit all types of companies. There'll be certain companies which will be well suited to that. And typically, it's fast-growing companies. Uh, it's companies where the management want to uh, stay involved for a period of time. So it doesn't necessarily allow them a full exit because they're, the, the, the private equity house is backing the management team to deliver the value. So in that kind of an exit, yes, it's an exit for some people in the business, but, but it's not an exit for others. And I think that suits many businesses where you have that that breadth of the shareholder base and some people are looking for an exit and others aren't um it, it also allows for an exit from a larger company so if you're if you're a division of a much larger company a private equity house can come and buy out the interests of the larger corporate uh, to allow you to then go ahead and grow the business but typically it's for uh faster growing businesses and the reason that's the case is because private equity funds are, are measured every sort of three to five year cycle um so they're looking to make uh, a three typically a three times money return in a time period of about three to five years. Uh, they're not looking to stay in for the long term. This isn't a 10, 15 year play by any means. Their, their role is to get in, uh, help with uh, funding, with any other resources that they can help with, and then make an exit within a short period of time. So I think you know people need to be aware of the fact that that's how private equity would work if that's the kind of exit that they're looking for. Trade, on the other hand, is very different. So this is this would allow a business owner a full exit. Um, so perhaps if uh, a business owner has been in operation for a number of years, they're, they're coming to, to, to retirement or an early retirement, uh, an exit with a trade party, so maybe with a competitor or with another strategic business, will allow them to exit the business completely. Um, now, I think one thing to mention about that is typically in the sorts of transactions that I'm seeing currently, it's, it's typically not a, a, a clean break. So it's not the case that someone will buy your business on day, you know, it's tomorrow, say, and that's it. You're not going to be turning up to work on Monday. Typically, there's a bit of a transition period. It might be six months, it might be 12 months, yep. um, where you're handing over the reins of that business. But it is a more complete exit. Yeah, and I think a lot of times in those exits, and I'm curious if you see the same thing, the role that the CEO is playing has a lot to do with whether or not they're required to stick around or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that also uh, bears a lot of relevance as to how attractive that company is to buy. So if you have a company which is where all of the key relationships with customers are with the CEO of that business or are with a, mem a number of the se senior management team of that business, then you know, if you were to buy that business, you would expect for the senior management team there to hang around at least for a short period of time to allow those relationships to transition across. As I often describe to people, I say, look, the, the last thing the potential investor wants to do is hand you as a principal a wheelbarrow full of money. And then you don't feel a real obligation to stick around. But of course, all the relationships are dependent upon you. So that's yeah. when that's when you get those golden handcuffs when they say, "Oh, we'd love to buy your company, but we want you to earn it out over the next three or four years because we know if we just hand you a briefcase full of cash, we're never going to see you again." 
Yeah, you're going to go to the Bahamas, right? I mean, that's what you're going to do. But And I think actually it's an approach which works well all around. If you think about it, you know, the guys who've initially built up the business, they've got a, they've probably got a huge amount of employees uh, who are going to be still working in that business, you know, and you're going to be wanting to secure the future of those guys even after you've gone. And one way of doing that is by ensuring that the business is on a track for continued growth even after you have left. Um, and that's really what, what those golden handcuffs are, uh, are there for, is to ensure that any risks that there may be in the business that didn't come out through due diligence or are people risks, especially customer people risks, are covered through relationships that the senior management team may have. Yeah, and, and it's something that um, I, I often say to people, look, whether you're looking to sell your business at some point or not, is somewhat irrelevant because what creates the greatest value for a potential owner is the same whether you're the owner or someone else is. And there's that there's that whole notion that people say, well, I don't just want to sell. It's like, look, if your business has value without you in it, then by definition, it's really valuable to you or to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, I think a lot of businesses are probably actually getting a lot more um, acutely aware of that uh, issue. So they know about, you know, and it's the same when, when you're talking about the business in itself. If you've got one main customer or one customer who's, who, with who you do 80% of your business with, you know, that's a huge risk in itself. Um, and, and those kinds of things, you talked about valuation earlier, and those kinds of things play in a lot to that. So when you're talking about valuation in particular, you're talking about, well, actually, how special is what this business is doing compared to its mar- the market that it's in? So what, what USP does this business have compared to everyone else in this space? What is it that they're doing better? Are they able to, are they able to get better gross margins or uh, net operating profit margins than their competitors? If they are, then they're doing something right. And that's going to have a big bearing on the, on the type of multiple, which is this multiplying factor of, of typically profits that we would uh, attribute to a business in order to try and determine the value. Sure. So, so if someone if someone's thinking to themselves, okay, five years from now, here's the value I want for my business to have, yeah. then obviously planning becomes a major part of that. Yeah. And I know it's something that you've got a lot of expertise in. So let me uh, unleash a question that I'm sure is going to be on people's minds, which is, so if you're building a business plan, and a lot of people find that to be a daunting task, what are the elements that really need to be in a plan and what should you be thinking about? Because the old way of business planning of this behemoth document just doesn't apply anymore. No, you're right. That that approach doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't work for you know, uh, fundraisers. It doesn't work for the management team. It doesn't work for people who are looking to buy your business. If you're looking to put a business plan together, and I think it's an absolute must for, for, for businesses to do, uh, there, there are only really a handful of strands that you really need to think about. But in terms of you preparing for them, you need to really think hard about them. So the key thing at the outset is always going to be, you know, talking about your product or service. What is there that the demand, the need, the pain point that you're addressing for customers who who really need your product? If you can really articulate that, and especially if you're if you're introducing a product to the market which does something a lot better than what the current uh, competitors are doing, then you really need to highlight that because that is a value driver when it comes to exit. Then I think you know something which a lot of people get confused by in many ways is, is talking about the target market. Well, who is it that you're approaching? Who are the people who are going to be buying your product or service? And here, the important thing is to really be as specific as you can be. Um, it's not going to be everyone who's going to be buying buying your product. Even if you're a shoe manufacturer, your target market is not everyone. It's either athletes or it's children or it's there is a specific target market there. And you need to really drill down into that to identify what that target market is 
for your product or service. And then once you've identified what that market is, you need to you need to size that market. So what is the size of that market now? And what are the indications showing in terms of what's going to happen to that market going forwards? And this is where you need to do a bit of research, uh, industry and market research, to try and understand and get answers to some of these questions so that you yourself are aware of the market that you're operating in, who the competition is in that market, sure. uh, you know, how strong that competition is, and actually how quickly your, your market is going to allow, you know, grow to allow you to grow. Then we talk about, typically we talk about marketing and sales. So this is the whole approach of, well, now that you've identified your target market, how are you actually going to reach out to them? How are you going to sell to them? How are you going to get in front of them? Is it, what is it? Is this, is this sort of paid, paid advertising? Is it social media? Is it kind of content, uh, content marketing approach? Is it word of mouth? How are you going to get it in front of the first, say, 1,000 customers who love your product, sure. who will then go and tell the next 1,000, who will go and tell the next 1,000? Um, and, so, and so having that in place, and this, is, this needs to be something that's strategic. You can't leave uh, the, the, the sort of messaging of your product by chance. It's not going to happen by chance. It needs to be planned and thought through. So that's something that needs to come into the, into the business plan. And then as we're getting towards the tail end of the business plan, um, you know, you're talking about metrics and milestones. So what are the key milestones that your business is going to have to achieve over the next, let's say, five years? So if you're looking for an exit in five years' time, there's going to be a number of things that are going to have to have happened in that, in the, over that five-year period of time that allow you to get the kind of exit that you want. I.e., you may have had to have grown your customers by a certain amount or grow your revenues or your profits by a certain amount, or, or um, have a certain profile or brand in the market, um, which allows you to get the kind of exit that, that you want. And then when we're talking about metrics, we're really talking about what are those key indicators in your business. And, and there should be quantitative indicators in your business, yep. which will allow you to see whether or not you're on the right course uh, of achieving success. And then, and then the, the, the part which I think a lot of people probably struggle with or, or get confused with is, is the financial part. Uh, and it doesn't have to be complicated. So the, when we're talking about the financial summary, we're really sort of typically forecasting out for the next three years and saying, well, over the next three years, this is what we expect our business to do. At the top line, at the bottom line, this is what's going to happen to cash. This is what our balance sheet is going to look like. Um, and it's really, in addition to presenting those numbers, it's actually explaining you know, how, why we think that is the case. Therefore, explaining the assumptions that you're making. And the assumptions is something a lot of people struggle with. But if you're a business that's been in operation for a few years, your assumptions should really be an extrapolation of your uh, historics. So what the business has already achieved. And if there's other initiatives that you're putting in place in your business, then you know if, if the growth, growth rate uh, previously had been at 5% at, at a revenue basis, if, it's, if you're projecting that it's going to increase to 10% year on year, then give reasons as to why that is. Um, as, as long as you're robust with those justifications for the assumptions you make in the financial plan, you really cannot go wrong. Um, but you have to also appreciate that the financial plan, as with the whole of the business plan, is a forward-looking document. So you're not sure. expected to get everything you know, absolutely right. Otherwise, you'd be a mind reader and you'd be uh, you've got some pretty phenomenal skills there. Yeah, um, unless you're selling clairvoyant services, at which point exactly, then people exactly. would expect you to be quite skilled at that. So, so what I what I like about this is that there's a lot of research I've done on how executives make decisions, and yeah. when I, when I run people through an exercise, what I find is that the questions they ask, and this is across five thousand CEOs and executives across the world, is that the questions they ask. The first one is, what problems to solve, or why do I need it? And yep. the second question they ask is, what's the likely outcome or result? So if I follow the model, and let me kind of summarize what I heard, which is, yep. well, first you have to start with, 
why is there a need for whatever it is that you're selling? So that's what problem are you solving and why do people need it? Then we're yep. talking about the target market, which is who is it that needs that and the yep. size of that market, maybe the competition. So why are people more likely to buy this from you than somebody else? Then what's your strategy for capturing that market? Finally, Absolutely. when you're giving people the milestones, the metrics, and the financial forecast, what you're telling the investor is here's the likely outcome or result. So the reason the market needs this is because of this, and here's the likely outcome or result. So you've got a business plan at that point that's aligned with how I've my research has shown people make decisions. Yes, absolutely, and I think you know, especially from an investor or a potential purchaser's perspective, typically you know what they'll do is a lot of people will typically flick through to the financials. Uh, and that's not to say they'll ignore the rest of the business plan. They won't. They'll look at that in a lot of detail as well. But they won't follow the natural order of the business plan. And they'll go to the financials and they'll start looking at the numbers. And so, you know, it depends on if you're building a business plan to raise funding, um, then you need to be very pragmatic in your approach. You need to understand what your business can do, but at the same time, balance that out with making it um uh, something of interest for a funder. And that's not to say you balloon your numbers at all. It's really just to identify where the opportunities within your plan are and where they exist. Um, and I think the, the, the thing right at the end that everyone will be interested in, irrespective of whether you're looking to raise money or whether you're looking to exit, is the management team section. So everyone wants to know, well, who is the team that has been growing this business over the last number of years? What is their skill set? What, what's so special about them? Uh, and th this is really the opportunity for you to, as a, as a business team, to outline the skills that you guys have uh, have got to build this business and the key achievements that you've had, had whilst you've been build, building this business. Uh, and so it's an absolutely critical part of the plan. Yeah, and if, you, and if you think about it, the notion of what's the likely results or outcome. So you can say, here's the outcome we expect to see, but the track record of your team is what gives the investor the confidence of the likelihood of that actually happening. Yes. And, and so I've worked as an investor myself for about five years. Um, and I've seen hundreds of business plans and management teams sort of coming in with those business plans. And, and the key thing, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true that investors will back management teams. They'll definitely look at your plan. They'll definitely look at what you've done with your business. But they're, but that's all history, right? They're interested in the future. Their value is going to come from what the business does in the future. And the only thing that they can tangibly put their hand on uh, and, and, and kind of measure in that way is the management team because that's what's in front of them. And so they will make an assessment as to how strong the management team is, what they've achieved, you know, how they, how, what their plans for the business and its future are. Uh, and that will be a very big driving force for them to make a decision as to A, whether or not they do invest, and then B, what terms they invest on. Sure. And, and what, what's the, is there one most common area where people tend to get stuck? Um, I would say the one area where, where I get a lot of questions from teams on is on the financials. Um, and I think it's because it's less so the kind of technical parts of putting it together, uh, i.e., you know, making sure the financials all work together properly as they should, because there's many templates available for that. It's more about the assumptions, making the assumptions. No one wants to look like a fool in front of investors or potential purchasers of the business. And so, therefore, you know, a lot of business owners are aware of the fact that they need to produce financials which are uh, showing a bit of ambition um, and growth about them, but at the same time are very considered in their approach. So what I get a lot from business owners is guys coming to me and saying, look, we're putting the financials together, but we, we're not sure if our assumptions are right or not. 
Well, there's no right answer is the first, is the first point. And I think the second point is, you know, there's a lot that uh, the, the kind of calls that the management team make with those assumptions, it tells a lot about the management team again. And, and the best way to handle the, the assumptions really there is to look at any data points that you have historically. So if you're, if you're just starting off as a business, uh, make some assumptions based on what you've seen other very early stage businesses in your niche operate at. If you've been in business for two years, three years, four years, use the data that you've compiled over the last two, three, four years to project what's going to happen in your business going forwards. The big issue that always exists in the financials is when, when you have a plan which shows, let's say, two years of historics and the graph is kind of going relatively flat and then as soon as you get into the forecast period it's a it's a big uptick it's like a hockey stick exactly. <laughs> you know and you, you will see that in many times and i've seen that you know, a <laughs> lot as well and and that's wonderful right in the sense that it's showing a lot of ambition but there's not a huge amount of considered judgment behind it so actually what that does presenting financials like that is just it just erodes the credibility of the management exactly. team rather than anything else yeah. um so you have to very much justify the assumptions that you're making and make sure that the history of your business um, has been considered when you're building the forecasts. Yeah, one of the one of the one of the suggestions I often make to people is I say, look, you can say in Q1, if we were aggressive, here's what the numbers would look like. Yeah. If we were conservative, here's what it would look like. And what we're actually projecting is somewhat in the middle between the two. And by the way, the aggressive means that we would have captured these six accounts out of the 20 we're pursuing. But yes. right now we forecast it for, and then an investor looks and goes, well, that's a realistic plan. And the savvy investor says, you know what? I bet you if we poured a little bit more fuel on this fire, they might be able to close all six or even eight of those opportunities. So, wow, this is a good investment. But it's often what I find when I'm looking at as an investor, when I see something that is so unrealistic, and I think to myself, you know, I've got a pretty good track record for growth, and I don't know if I could sign off on that deal. Uh, like that plan looks a little bit too aggressive for me. So there's, uh, you know, I don't know how you're going to do it, but more power to you. I'm just not going to be along for the ride. Yeah, and I think you've hit on a, a, a an excellent point there in terms of how uh, business owners could deal with it. And it's something that I talk about when I talk with my businesses as well. Is is you know put those scenarios in front of them. So it's effectively it's a sensitivity analysis approach, right? So instead of let's say growing our revenues at ten percent, we grow them at seven percent as a lowercase scenario, and then at thirteen percent as a higher case scenario. Um, and we're saying, well, actually, if it's a 13%, this is what we've assumed. And if it's a 7%, this is what we've assumed. But the case that we're presenting as the base case in this plan is this 10% growth. And you do that a number across, uh, across a number of the metrics. And what that shows is it shows maturity um, because yeah. you understand you know, the way that an investor or a potential purchaser of your business will look at your business. But it also shows that you're actually fully aware about your business and you're self-aware about, well, actually, what could work really well and actually, what could go wrong? Um, and that and that adds a huge amount of kudos to the management team that present their numbers in that sort of way, because it gets them out of that pickle about, well, what if our assumptions are right or wrong? And it also, you know, shows an investor that actually these guys are thinking about what they're doing here. Yeah. Now, I I know that this this whole experience of creating a business plan is something that can be a little bit overwhelming for people. And I know that you've got this whole online smart business plan academy. So tell me about who that's targeted at and kind of, you know, what problem it helps them address. Yeah, sure. So this is this online course was really a, 
a response to what I was hearing from a lot of small and medium-sized businesses that I was working with, uh, which is that, look, we, we, we don't know where to start. We can't spend months and months at this sort of, sort of thing. It needs to be very powerful, very specific. It needs to help us raise funding, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, what, how do we go about doing it? Um, and so I created uh, this website called the, uh, the, the Smart Business Plan Academy.com. Uh, if people go there, they can download a free cheat sheet, which, get, which gets them on their way. But it's really appealing at those small and medium-sized businesses who um, are perhaps at the outset of thinking about, well, we need to put a plan together, uh, but we're not sure about the right way of going about doing it so, so that, A, we're not wasting time, and B, we're not getting overwhelmed at this by, by putting the plan together. And then also C, that we've got a really good chance of, of success in terms of either raising funding or then exiting from it. And so what I've done is I've put my 12 years of experience, all the good, all the bad, all the business plans that I've seen that I've invested in, the ones that I haven't invested in, I've taken all of that learning and I've put it into this online course, which is very much a step-by-step course. So it kind of talks people through step-by-step. It's look at this for your business, look at this area, answer these specific questions. This is where you go to answer these questions to get some of this information. And this is how you then present that information back. So it does it in that level of granularity. So nothing's left to chance. Um, And that's how it guides business owners through in terms of putting together a powerful plan very quickly. That's that's great. So instead of instead of pulling a template off of a website somewhere that was probably you know built and designed for a business twenty years ago, yeah. or or instead of someone you know kind of testing stuff out and seeing what fails over and over, you're helping people so they don't have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing that you know this this course does. Um, so one of the things I get asked all the time is, is you know, could you could you write my business plan for me? Um, and that's something that I don't do. I guide business yep. owners to 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 write a business plan in terms of how they would go about doing that. And one of the ways is through this online course. But I wouldn't just take on that project, uh, you know, in totality and, and write the plan. And the reason I don't do that is because at the end of the day, it's the business, it's the senior management team who are going to have to go and defend that business plan either in front of investors or in front of buyers. And if they've not had a fundamental role in, in putting that plan together, if they're not absolutely familiar with the assumptions that they've made in order to put the plan together and why they made those assumptions, then they're not going to be able to defend it. So in that case, they've only got one piece of the puzzle there. And, and, and then when they're at those pitching meetings, it'll become evident that actually these guys don't really know what they're talking about. However, the, the plan that I've put together and the course that I put together, going through that course, it makes people really think about their own business so that not only can they prepare it, but they can also defend it and argue for it and pitch it to investors and buyers. That's that's great. I think it's obviously it's a valuable tool for people. And there's still going to be some people who are, are going to want to bang their head against the wall and try it themselves. But it sounds like you can take a lot of the pain and frustration out. I know that for a lot of businesses, they hate going through the business planning process. And it sounds like this kind of holds their hand through it. Absolutely. And that was the whole aim of this whole program. Yeah. So if there's one piece of advice you had for people who were embarking on this, who were who were either starting a business or contemplating getting it ready for sale, or for that matter, just trying to plan out the future of their business, um, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them? The, the one thing I would say to them is very much to be kind of look into the business yourselves. You know, try to stay away from a lot of these um, uh, very boxed templates in terms of you should do it like this or you should do it like this. If you're looking to sell your business, look inside your business yourself and identify yourselves and be comfortable with 
where are the drivers for value and where are the weaknesses? Um, if you're looking to raise funding, do a similar exercise. You know, look at the risks and look at the opportunities and be absolutely frank with yourselves and with your team. Uh, so look, these are the actual opportunities in our business over the next 12 months or 24 months or 36 months. And actually, these are the risks in our business. And the, the importance of highlighting those risks is because it gives you an opportunity to put a plan in place to mitigate against those risks. Um, and that's something that is, is often the center point of conversation, either with investors or with buyers. And it's if you ignore that part of the process, then you're doing yourself a big disservice. Yeah, it's it's always funny when um, when I'll ask someone who's running a business and, I'll, and they'll give me their plan and I'll say to them, well, what are two or three reasons why you wouldn't achieve those goals? Yeah. And if I get a blank stare, then I know <laughs> I got a problem. If they say, look, the three things that would prevent us from this are X, Y, and Z, and here's our plan to make sure those don't happen, then I feel like, okay, these guys have a handle on what's likely to happen that could derail them. The people yeah. that just say either, well, there's no other competition like us is you know, just a fallacy to begin with, or, well, those things will never happen because we're too smart. Um, uh, okay, I guess it's a good strategy, but um, I'm not buying off on that one either. <laughs> No, and again, I think it comes back to a point we made earlier, which is it comes back to credibility. You know, as a business owner, if you're if you're aware totally of the growth opportunities within your business and what it's going to take to achieve those, but at the same time, you're aware of the risks in your organization and what you need to do to mitigate against those risks, that adds a huge amount of credibility to that team versus a team who's largely ignorant to, to, to those issues. Excellent. All right, Talat, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Talat.mahmood at skypanthercapital.com or they can reach me on Twitter. Uh, it's fundtechstartup is the, is the handle on Twitter. Excellent. And the website is the smartbusinessplanacademy.com. We'll have all that in the show notes so people can get it. So uh, Talat, thanks so much for joining me today. No, thanks a lot, Ian. It was great to be on. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the pieces I think are most valuable you can put to work in your business. First, most business owners are not as ready as they think they are when it comes to their planning and their structure around an exit. We need to make sure that our business plans are realistic and the elements that Talat shared that need to be in that plan first is why is there a need for what it is that you have? Then you want to define specifically the target market and the size of that. It's got to be research-based. We then want to make sure that we evaluate the competition define your marketing and sales approach, and specify milestones so the investor can get a sense of how you're going to get there. And above all, be realistic and include the risks that go into your planning, because that'll show that you've got enough maturity to minimize the exposure to the potential investor. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you want me to cover, or if there's a guest you think I should absolutely have on the show, please send me an email. Just drop me a note to ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.